Bloody hell, you're listening to the Clan Clarion podcast again. Get a life. How are you, Ash? I'm really good, mate. Hadn't actually pressed record when you started <laughs> off. But I'm up and running. Fuck, lucky uh, we've got a professional editing this show for us. Yeah, yeah. I do you think we should through. outsource that one day? No, no, we do things ourselves and <sighs> forgot. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this because I was speaking to a friend who wants to do a podcast and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll do it. And actually a couple of my friends have asked me about it recently and I'm like, you know what? Maybe you should just send it to someone to edit because yeah. it's such an uphill battle doing it yourself. And, um, yeah, where I think the value in that lies is that if you're not a technical person, you don't have to go out and learn how to use a program. All you have to do is just get the sound down and send it to someone. Mm-hmm. Now, I also have heard of people paying like $30 an episode for that. And I thought, shit, it takes me way longer to edit the Claim of Throne podcast, even if there are no edits, because you got to listen back and that's always one-to-one. Yeah. And... um then I thought, oh, okay, I think I understand it. The person doing the podcast probably just listens to... That would pick out a few bits that they'd tell them to listen out for, do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Talk? Also, the um, person doing the editing could have it on fast playback, so it's not one-to-one. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> Ash is dropping acid, everyone. Don't mind. <laughs> Sorry, um, my bloody computer speakers and my headphones were producing your audio, so it's probably Whoa. in my microphone for the first half of the podcast. Lucky Mic- I noticed that then. Microphone explodes. Yeah. Um, I, I like when we start the show with a conversation, like we're two minutes in and we've had a full conversation about something. Normally no. we're just like, how are you today, Kebba, for about yeah. two minutes. Sorry, I'll quickly finish my thought. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so let's pretend you didn't know anything about editing. You listen through and you pick those points and you just say, um, let's start the podcast at 38 seconds at 5 minutes 20 to 6 minutes 30. My guest went to do a wee-wee, so cut that out. And just some real quick, clear things. So then the person editing doesn't actually have to listen to the whole thing. They just Definitely. go to those particular bits and do it. Yep. And yeah, so I reckon in like an hour podcast, if you had, let's say, just a handful of edits, that would be okay. But if we're talking about going through and getting rid of ums and ahs mm. and bits of conversations and doing some like actual editing, which we definitely don't do. But in the past, I thought that was such a necessary thing when really you and I just had to get better at not saying um and ah so much. Yeah. And yeah, that would take a lot longer. So I think $30 is actually reasonable for both parties mm-hmm. because it is a mission to do and um yeah as long as it takes you not that long to do it it's not too bad so that's what i would encourage my friends to do as well i think it's the same as anything like um just oh, i just said um sorry for editing purposes <laughs> like stick at what you're good at and get other people to do things that you're not good at is one argument i mean we are all like diy learn how to do this learn how to do that but like even outside of music, like I'm shit at plumbing. So when my taps break in my house, I try and fix them myself and it's like an entire day and I'm fucking having a meltdown and shit. Whereas I can just get mm. someone in for 80 bucks or whatever and they can change the tap for me in 15 minutes and I can keep writing music, which is what I'll enjoy doing. Totally. And I think it's less about sticking at what you're good at doing 
and more about just prioritizing because yeah look it might be really helpful for you to learn how to change a tap so down in five years time you'll be able to do it in like an hour the first time takes forever so that's that's a skill that might improve your life down the track but right now i mean man you've got two podcasts on the go you do all the production for one of them and you're also in a band you're managing you're doing all this other crap it's like yeah oh plus you're a human being like you need to relax and spend yeah. time with the miso yeah. and walk the dog so Two i totally agree week. man mm. yeah make them make it. count totally man what else what's next on the agenda um well i spent yesterday watching some kind of monster again really again. for about the fifth time i think I've, I've maybe watched it every two or three years since it came out you're such a diehard metallica fan eh yeah, it's funny because I'm totally not at all. But <laughs> I, I just remember each time I watch it, I get a different opinion of it. This is and your album for the week, I take it. Uh, no, 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 it's actually not. I was going to just use it just to be a dickhead, but nah. But uh, yeah, this time watching through, I actually just wanted to sort of see how they were recording it, kind of as they were going along, you know. And in the process, yeah, I just sort of stumbled across this other thing which I can't even remember what it's called, but it's on Netflix as well. And it's it's a retrospective of them being interviewed about some kind of monster and also about that 3D movie they released a few years ago, hmm. which I never saw. And I saw it once. Yeah, I, I turned this particular retrospective off at the very start because I didn't want to watch it. But they did mention one thing that changed the way I watched some kind of monster, which was we were a film crew and we got asked to document the making of their new album. But what ended up happening was that the band fucking had a meltdown. And that's why the the documentary became what it was. Whereas mm-hmm. I was always viewing it as a documentarians being a bit um, opportunistic and saying, oh, okay, well, Metallica look like they're, they're melting down. Let's film it. So, yeah, it was an interesting way of watching it then. And also I was I was looking out for things like how editing can tell a story. So if you're just strategic about how you edit, you can misrepresent people and all that happens in the news and media all the time. Um, so, yeah, a few little things I was noticing and it didn't seem consistent. So I think some of the editing's a bit out of whack with what was really going on, but not in a terrible way, but just I think it was done to make a, a story. Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I found it interesting to watch that thing again. So that's on Netflix, is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I'll have to, um, yeah, probably watch that again. I've only seen it once, I think, years ago. Yeah. I watched it when it came out, like in, at Luna. I think I won tickets or something to it. And again, did Did I go with you? No, this is 2003 or something, 2002 or something. It was, it was ages ago. I went with, uh, Owen and Tim etc and um yeah the other thing that was very interesting it's my favorite bit in the whole documentary is they're talking about not putting guitar solos in because this is like the height of new metal is actually as it was already declining and you know new metal has made no bones about you know being pretty shitty guitarists and not doing solos and stuff and then Kirk Hammett, the whole time, is just being really sensitive and, oh, guys, we shouldn't fight. And, you know, he doesn't really have a hardcore stance on anything. And then as soon as they talk about not doing solos, he goes, all right, this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I, 
you know, I think that it's stupid to not have guitar solos just because you think that they're dated. Because if you don't do it, then it dates this album to this time period. And that's exactly what it did. Yeah, right. And they had to bring back the guitar solo and it was like a huge thing for their next album. I remember saying like, yeah, there's plenty of solos back in there and stuff. And He must remind them of that every day. Oh, well, he's pretty nice. So I don't think he does, but... Mm. Yeah, it was interesting. And also the other thing is something I never noticed is they said that the album is a bit higgledy-piggledy, which it totally is. Um, but they mentioned that, oh, we've done it before with Load and Reload as well. So that's that. I found that interesting. Mm. So maybe since, maybe, like I always thought they lost their way after the Black Album in terms of like cohesive sound. And maybe that's why, because they just did so much touring and lost touch with whatever it was and now they just write songs and they just shove them together and that's that's an album. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard, hard, to, <laughs> it's hard to know with about that. I mean, I don't think they always sound like that anymore. Even the latest one, like, it's kind of higgledy-piggledy, but not too bad. Mm. Um, and so maybe there was a period there where they were like just thinking about it too much almost like mm-hmm. you know, making a conscious decision to not have guitar solos that's just crazy like i don't know yeah you know if it fits then it fits if it doesn't doesn't um it made yeah. me re-listen to the new one yeah last night and i probably got through three songs or something um while i was cooking my dinner and it gave me a bit more of an appreciation of the consistency of that album like they don't, I don't know if they are actually trying to appeal to their old fans or you know do a return to form thing, but I think they probably did it. Um, yeah, it just each song sounds like it comes from the same album. It's you know kind of got that old school Metallica thing, but it's very modern in the um, the riffs, the vocals, the rhyming. That's the thing that always gets me about them: too much yeah. rhyming. Yeah, and the drum beats that are just. There's a bit of thrashy-ish stuff, but they always slow down to this groove that they tended to just sit on after the Black Album. They just f- started doing this thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, whatever. It's all cool. just a matter of interest. I like rhyming when it's not like obvious rhyming. Like You need to sort of have some rhyming to make it work. But when it's just like so blatant at the end of every line, pretty lame. I kind of appreciate hip-hop for the way that they rhyme shit sometimes mm. where it'll be like the last word of one sentence and then the middle word of the next sentence and the, they just make that flow with the rolling vocal fit in <laughs> somehow. And, uh, yeah, so I yeah. think that's pretty cool and, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, good when you can do interesting stuff with lyrics. Do we have a concept in mind for the next album, by the way? Because I'm starting to write lyrics and I don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, no. You got something? No, not at all. I think we did talk drunkenly about something ages ago like something to do with bees oh fuck maybe (laughs) most likely that sounds about (laughs) right (laughs) yeah Yeah, don't know don't know doesn't even need a concept really anymore after like i'm always like you have to have a concept to know what it's about and keep it consistent but i don't know whatever i always appreciated that about you is that we're not necessarily doing a concept album we sort of are but it's yeah i like that you just use a concept in order to get a feel of what you should write lyrics about yeah to give it a bit of cohesion 
definitely, yeah. And I think you need that. I was listening. Another thing I did was listen to the Andy Social podcast episode with the Adam from Alchemist. Yeah, I listened to that because I saw you uh, tweet it on Twitter. There you go. And I, I thought it was thoroughly. awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, easily the best one he's done. Um, and that guy had a lot of lot of cool stuff to say, and yeah, echoed a lot of things that I like about music and I dislike about the music business. Uh, but anyway, he was saying that, you know, a lot of lyrical themes pop up throughout his music, even in Alchemist and now in Levitation Hex. Yeah. And that got me thinking, oh yeah, well, unless you have something that you're specifically really into in your personal life, like, uh, one Taron from Entrails Eradicated is into space (laughs) and, um, or the craziness of the cosmos. But since we... Well, since you kind of have a have a vague thing, a general idea of things, and then you like to sort of specifically throw a concept on top and then talk about that, I think that works really well. Yeah, I tend to go for like um, themes that match in with the sound of the music rather than like mm-hmm. writing music to tell a story about the lyrics. Like we do it the mm-hmm. other way around, I guess. Um, because we're not, we don't have some topic that we're just ridiculously passionate about. Um, but if we were, yeah, and it's funny that, yeah, he, he was sort of laughing about it, how it's his themes have yeah, rolled over from one band to the next mm. without really thinking about it. Yeah, even though the style of music has changed a little bit. Mm. Pretty know, amazing that he's still actively doing stuff after, like, like, man, Alchemist was like 25 years, something like mm-hmm. that we're together for. It's crazy. Did so much stuff and then just stop all of a sudden. And like he said, he was like, yeah, pretty cut about the whole thing and just thought he would never do music again. And then before you know it, he's like writing heaps of shit and learning more, <coughs> more home recording and, mm. um, and still going to heaps of local gigs and stuff. Yep. Must be getting on now, but yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I think he said he's 46 and yeah, he definitely talked about a lot of stuff that really would have been relevant when Alchemists were cranking because, yeah, yeah the industry was so bloody different. Yeah. Um, whereas we're talking about booking our own tours overseas and stuff. He was saying that back in those days, you, if you got an opportunity to play Europe, you did it. No excuses. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's like, you know, football players playing a grand final when their kid is being born. It sounded yeah. like that, like you have to you have to take this tour. There's yeah. Yeah, no way around it. It's just not good enough if you say no for any reason. Well, because you'll probably never get that opportunity ever again. Yeah. I mean, we have actual discussions to say, when are you guys free? So like, yeah. we probably take that for granted that we have that flexibility. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I thought like, because I'm a bit constricted at times with um, leave and stuff at work. And we, we really have to be conscious of who's on leave when to allow enough staff to be there and also to be fair to everyone. Like For sure, yeah. I think it happens in a lot of workplaces. For instance, Christmas is a big one where everyone wants to take time off because their kids are off school or whatever. And, yeah, you do have a few public holidays. So, like, who gets that glory period between Christmas and New Year? String together a good bit of leave. And um, it's actually worked out quite well. I thought that... I would be, you know, getting fill-ins by now for some of the touring that we've done. But, you know, on one hand, we haven't done that much. But also, if things are being booked by us, yeah, you get to tell me, hey, are you free here? I get to check it out and book well in advance and it's all cool. So, yeah, that's a Mm. lot different. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. <sighs> to a life, eh? Mm. <laughs> mm. Um. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that. Uh. Go listen to it. A- episode eighty nine of the Andy Social Podcast. I oh think yeah. it's pretty awesome. I thought you were talking to me then. I forgot we were recording. Oh yeah. I was, I was about to go. I have listened to it, you dickhead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll have to get him on uh, sooner or later. We're well overdue for that. And um, but he's pretty busy doing podcasts every weekend in different states, yeah, <laughs> which is crazy shit. But yeah, good on him. And uh, we'll definitely chat about that soon because I think he's he's got a good thing going now. I was, yeah, to be honest, a bit confused about what it was when the show started out. But mm-hmm. now, I, yeah, sort of, I get it. And it's um it's flowing a lot better. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Real interesting guests of people that you would never normally think to find out anything about and they are interesting yeah and you can relate to most of them so yeah it's really cool uh man i've been finding so many new like music business sort of podcasts yeah mainly because i'm like looking around to see what my competition is and then Mm -hmm. i'm just stumbling across all these like millions of podcasts that i've never known about at all about any good ones oh some are all right um started listening this week to one called the musician monster podcast Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just different topics, I guess. Every every episode, from uh, yeah, just weird. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, that's been pretty cool. Um, would, and, like, would I yeah. get into stuff? I'm enjoying listening to your podcast, and I have a few of my friends who are musos and stuff who message me and go like, "Hey, Cab's podcast is really cool," and. But I don't think I could listen to anyone else talk about that sort of stuff than you or Bobby Osinski because I think, or even working class audio, I guess, because they have like, you are very relevant to me as my friend, but also you're doing it in a band. Bobby Osinski talks to people who are currently recording dudes and they'll just have a long form chat and you just get a lot of different info. Same with working class audio. It's just like, just like a nice long chat. But yep. I don't think I could sit down and have someone just like bash me with ideas of how many posts per day to do on Instagram, for example. Yeah, no, no, no. And there are a few shows like that where they're people that, yeah, they're like industry people, but they're not in a band. And mm. at the end of the day, they're trying to win clients and shit. And it's just like, I don't know, the way they explain things is just in a broad sense and don't really relate it, yeah, to how it actually goes on in the, in the real world. Um, but just even looking at this one, for example, I'll just open it up to see what some of the episodes were. But like uh, the truth about what it takes to make it in music. Um, that sounds like one of those PDFs that you buy for yeah. 38 bucks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And sign up to read the whole thing. Yeah. Um, how to get your band organized. Uh, you know, new music marketing strategies. And they have some guests. So the one with guests are actually really cool. Yeah, um, and they will sort of have these sort of unique next level strategies that they're sort of going around from show to show talking about these things, and so that's pretty cool. But yeah, some of the ones when it's just yeah, what it takes to make it. Nah. Yeah, I think that that's really the big difference is when you have a guest on, you can excuse yourself from not actually doing what it is that you say other people should do, yeah. and just let the guest talk about it. Um, and I think maybe that's why I struggled a lot. Like I've done three iterations of my own podcast um, and deleted them and started again and stuff like that. So I'm only, I'm back up to episode four for like the third time. 
And the reason why is because I don't want to come across as someone who knows everything because I don't. I just want to make something relevant for people to just try out who, look, if you got the time and you want to give this a whirl, you might not be an expert at it, but maybe here are some pointers that helped me out as opposed to stop going to recording studios now Mm. and start doing it yourself because I don't believe that one bit. And I think the same with music marketing. It's not like, it's not like don't hire someone to do your promo for you. It's more like you need to be able to identify when to hire someone to do your promo. Yeah. These are the things to consider. Here's some ideas to consider that you may not have thought about before. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah, and it's like, look, if you're going to do a strategic marketing campaign, for example, it's going to cost you thousands of dollars because it's someone's like hardcore time. And it's nice to just have a taste of that and see, well, if you do want to schedule some Facebook posts that link up with your Instagram and blah, 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 and do a mailing list, like that's going to take two or three hours of your week every week. So to hire someone to do that is going to cost their hourly rate times three at least. So maybe it's better to do that shit yourself and this is how and why and (laughs) the rest of it, you know, when you do need something a little bit more hardcore, you need someone who has industry contacts, then you hire someone to do it. Yep. I like it. End of story. (laughs) Wicked. Um, Was I telling you the other, maybe it was the other night when we were really drunk and, um, yeah, there's this one marketing dude going around all the shows at the moment called uh, John Oshaka, and he is... Does he come from Oshaka, Japan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His show is the Music Marketing Manifesto, and I don't get a commission. But he is like sort of anti-streaming kind of thing. Like he's saying, don't don't put your shit on Spotify and that when it first comes out. Yep. And but instead focus on building a massive mailing list, and he's just so pro mailing list and emails this and emails that, and um. But the thing is, like, he's got these courses and they cost a couple hundred bucks or something. But he's got all this um, proven track record behind him of these artists that are signing up to him, and he's getting them like on the Billboard charts and shit just by having mailing lists and selling that way. So no I haven't obviously paid the course or anything, but it, yeah, fascinating that there's crazy strategies like that out there. Um, you know, and then <clears throat> maybe get on Spotify later down the track or something. But um, yeah, so I don't even know exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how that works, how they count how many sales they're getting because if it's, yeah, independent sales via email, via a band's own web store, mm. I don't know. But um, pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I think he's pretty old now, but when he was young he was sort of on universal music and um yeah it was a bit of a you know muse on himself but then as he got out of the scene he became more interested in diy stuff and he, he's a marketer by trade so he was using like business marketing strategies for music and like using untraditional ways of doing things that bands would be reluctant to try but when they do they would get weird sort of success that they wouldn't normally get hmm so kind of interesting. Look it up, people, if you want. Yeah, that's another trap in terms of recording that people get put into is because, yeah, this digital stuff, um, it's all about workarounds. Well, a lot of it is. Um, I think the real success with, with digital recording is still using the old school methods and applying them and the uh, I guess the ideas behind that but just approach it in the digital realm and you'll achieve some sort of success. 
Whereas a lot of these modern guys, especially younger guys, you know, they're plugging guitars and stuff directly into their interfaces and then expecting to craft uh, a sound inside a program. And there's all these work, it can be done and a lot of people do it to a really great effect. Even the latest Blink-182 album is largely DI and stuff. The only uh, stuff with microphones is really the vocals and the drums. And even those are heavily augmented with um, digital stuff. I just read an article the other day. But um, yeah, if you get if you get so conditioned that the workarounds are the way to do things and if you want to do if you want any success in whatever it is you're doing, are doing these crazy non-traditional ways, but then you don't learn the traditional stuff as well or the value of it, sometimes you might find that there is just an easy direct approach to getting the same sound or, or whatever that will um, yeah take way less time and just get you up and running and allow you to just be creative off the bat because I find if you, if you have to do all these workarounds and shit, sometimes it takes away from just like playing the music. And getting yep. good takes, for example, with music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And a lot of podcasts push that kind of shit as well. Like, oh, yeah, this guy's real interesting because he does all this. And it's like they don't mean to for it to come out like this, but it's easy for an uninformed listener to think that that's the only way, whereas they're just trying to highlight that this person does some unique stuff. Yep. Did you like that Adam on Antisocial doesn't upgrade his Pro Tools anymore? Yeah, and yeah, he said he got trapped in this thing where he was upgrading constantly for a few years and I was exactly the same. And I remember one time there was a deal on like this plugin and it was going to cost me 20 bucks to upgrade to the version 5 or whatever. And normally to buy a version 5 is something like 300 bucks, right? So I was like, oh, it's a crazy deal. So I went to sign up and do it and it didn't work. And I even emailed tech support. I'm like, what the hell's wrong? You won't accept my payment. And they said, oh, I don't know. And I never got to the bottom of it. And I was just like, oh, screw you then. You don't, you don't get my 15 or 20 bucks. And then it clicked like six months later. What in the fuck do I need version five for? What mm-hmm. if I got version five and it sounded shit or it didn't work the same as version four or, or whatever? And as long as version four is still supported, why would I even bother upgrading? Um so yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat and I won't mm-hmm. buy anything now unless I identify a real need that I can't get around any other way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that stopped me purchasing these crazy deals, especially <laughs> when something's worth 300 bucks and then it's offered for $20. Like what's yep. the real value of something that is just digital? Yep. Like mm-hmm. I don't understand. Um, yeah. This weekend... I was going to get you over to hook me up with recording shit myself. I was. Obviously, we didn't get around to it, but mm. what, were, what were we going to do? Well, for the listeners out there, Cab has got a handful of songs and wants to do an EP slash album. I don't know what you want to do. What do you want to do? I have no fucking idea. But No idea. Yeah. You get, How many songs have you got? Seven or eight? Ten, eleven. Serious? Okay, so Cabba wants to do an album then. And yeah, from what I've heard, a few demos got guitar parts, uh, program drums and some vocals going and just whole songs. So what I thought is that rather than, um, rather than Cabba like employing me to go over there and friggin' sit with him for ages and ages, 
you've already done all the demos, right? You've got all the equipment. Um, the only thing you don't quite have is maybe um, just the setup, the initial setup that you need um, to get, you know, I don't know, hit the right levels or get a tone that's more than just a muck around jamming demo tone um, on your Kemper. Uh, I'm not really explaining this too well. Either way, what I want to do is go over to your house, find a couple of Kemper profiles that would, I think would match quite nicely together. And, and then you've got two guitars, you've got an ESP and you've got uh, Ibanez. And my idea is to sort of do a bit of, of what Ian from Red Descending does and record all of your, at very least, all of your rhythm tracking with one Kemper profile and one guitar and then switch guitar and do a complementary track with like, you know, whatever the first tone is lacking, the first profile. And then, yeah, you can just go about your business, track along to your program drums, get really tight takes, do it in your own time. And yeah, maybe, I don't know, a couple of months down the track or depends how quickly you smash through it all. Um, Yeah, you've got you know, album ready guitar tracks. And then from there, you know, I'll enter my bass or whatever. And you can do the same thing with that. And then we'll figure out some vocal stuff. You could even use your podcasting mic and yeah, we'll just set up and make sure that your levels are all cool and give you a little list of things just to notice and be aware of. And yeah, at final process, we'll figure out what the hell to do with the drums, whether we stick with the program ones or whether I maybe use it as an excuse to do some muck around tracking myself. And then, yeah, before long, you're going to have an album. Pretty good. Be a nice little experimental project to talk about on the podge anyway, Mm. for sure. Yeah. See how it goes. What are Um, your thoughts about that? What were you planning to do with that? Anything? No The only thing was I just was like, struggling to write new claim the throne shit i just didn't know really what to do yet and um and i just kept coming up with these ridiculous riffs thrash stuff because that's like sort of my go-to style i guess so then i was like fuck it i'm just gonna keep rolling with it and see what happens and then it was just really easy to write songs they were coming Mm. out so quick so um yeah haven't really thought too far ahead of it um honestly i kind of wish i was playing gigs every week so it might be mm. a good tool to be able to do that without having to, yeah, hassle the claim the throne guys to start playing shit shows. But I don't know. I just feel like that'd be something I'd enjoy to try again. Or and also starting from the ground up, just seeing, you know, we talk all this shit on the on the shows. So see what it's like if uh, I can actually pull it off or you know do something. Get a gigging band that has albums. You know. Yeah, I love the idea. Not of, I don't want to play every goddamn week, but yeah, to gig a bit more regularly and rehearse a bit on stuff that isn't Claim of Throne and just like have shows where you open or you play second or something. That would be, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Such a nice feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be cool because a lot of um, the reason I think that we stagnate and maybe why some bands stagnate a little bit as just as individuals is because you go to rehearsal, get the songs you've been playing for 10 years up to scratch, go play them at a gig. You know, you don't take any chances really because you've got specific stuff you need to pull off. Whereas like, yeah, crafting new songs in a different style allows you to just uh, stretch out a little bit, do something mm. cool. So I love that idea, man. Yeah. 
And then who knows, maybe you like even experiment with like some of that weird shit I was talking about before of just doing email marketing and no Spotify and just, yeah. I don't know, being able to have like, like a little crash this dummy band that I can just experiment with weird shit on and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really into the idea of like you and Jesse and uh, even Dicey in the past has mentioned doing some music, but he hasn't like really had the time because he's a busy mother effer. But yeah, you guys, because in part of the reason why I do what I do for fun is because I was doing it for Claim of Thrones. So I always said, if you guys ever get some stuff together, you know, if you ever get a date, um, <laughs> we can, yeah, use, use the gear that we've sort of gathered along the way and that... So it allows you to do some marketing. It allows you to do some songwriting and me to experiment with some recording stuff all as a little bit of practice for the next time the bigger Claim of Throne thing comes into into the forefront, which mm-hmm. again is why I recorded overseas. Um, and I've also booked some studio time with Al. Uh, shit, when is it? First or second weekend of October to do some songs that, I'm just going to write and just, again, just for some experimentation, just to learn some stuff and be productive. And yeah. Yeah. That's you what know, it comes just, down to. Yeah. I don't know. So I think that'd be cool. Mm. But that, I think that's, all of this doing this shit is, um, has taught me a bunch of stuff that I wouldn't have if I just focused on being Claim of Throne and nothing else. And I'll, And that's what has got me really keen to record you. Because I spent, I was off work Monday, Tuesday, getting over jet lag, which didn't work. Um, but what I did do was I recorded some guitars just through, not even through my Mesa main recording amp. I used my little orange 15 watt amp and just had this goal to make it sound great. And yeah, I dialed in a tone that I thought sounded exactly right. And I looked at the knobs and it's like, I wouldn't normally scoop the mids like that, but that's the sound I want. You know, I experimented with um, clean boosting and I liked the way that a tube screamer gives me a bit of gain, but I was really noticing how it was stripping too much of the low end and it sort of like ruined the character of the amp a little bit. And yeah, so just mucking around with stuff like that, I did it. Then I tried old Ian from Red Descending. I tried his method of double tracking using a different... um, in this case, I was using the same amp, so I used a different guitar. And I blended them together and it was like, wow, I've got this totally cool sound. But not only that, it was unique. Uh, I always drive for a tone that sounds like a particular album that I like, when really um, all the albums I like have vastly different tone from each other. So, yeah, I really crafted an original sound for me that I liked that did the things I needed it to do. And yeah, so then I spent Tuesday doing the same thing with bass, but I played along with the guitar that I'd recorded the day before. And then again, I just took ages to just like sculpt the tone that would fit really well with the guitar. And man, it's honestly, I won't, maybe I won't say it's like the perfect tone or anything like that, but just the vibe of it, like, like it was totally exactly complimentary is I guess what I'm getting at. And I think that's something that I never understood before was that, yeah, you capture the best sound you possibly can at the time, but I would never really, I think I want a guitar tone like this and I want a bass tone like this, but I'd never actually tried to aim for that to work with the bass. I think that's what mixing's for. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so yeah, that's that's given me a bunch of ideas of how to apply that. Everywhere. Man, not, nice to have something like that that you just have full control over of it, and you know even. Yeah, I mean, if it sounds different and you're trying to do that in a band situation, people might just sort of be like, oh, nah, no, nah, it's not going to work like that. Whereas, yeah, when you're doing mucking around like that, you can make that call and trust your gut and just go with it and come out with something that is unique and, um, you know, does make you happy. So that's fucking good. Album of the week. Well, it leads me to Richie Kotzen. I think it's called Salted <laughs> Earth. Oh, sorry, it's called Salting Earth. It came out mm. earlier this year. Richie Kotzen. Yeah, he's got this amazing voice. I reckon he sounds to me like kind of like a Chris Cornell. Like just a yeah. really powerful rock voice. But yeah, it's not I don't think it's gonna be the listeners cups cup of tea necessarily, but Still yeah, interesting. I think it's Can we play that? We sure can. What's your album of the week? Fuck yeah. Uh probably just strapping young lad city. I've been listening mm. to. It's good fun. It's just like so energetic and intense the whole way through. So I just enjoy yeah. that from time to time. For the ferocity of that? it sort of thing. Hey? Spotify suggestion or what made you really? Uh, yeah, that? it was actually, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's what I mean when I say that Spotify knows what I want to listen to more than I do sometimes. It'll mm. just put these things up. I'm like, of course I want to listen to City. <laughs> <laughs> I do didn't you, realize that until now. Does uh, it get ideas just purely from what you've been listening to or do you have to like, like say that you like it? Nah, you don't need to like anything. Just from what you're listening to and it groups them as well because I listen to so many different weird things. Like it, it knows what is thrash metal and it knows what is black metal and it knows what is cake fashion nugget metal, etc. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, and I did listen to Smashing Pumpkins Machina too. Oh, yeah, any about good? it. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, I've never actually heard it before at all. So, really? Yeah, weird. What was the standout or just generally nothing? Uh, I only listened to it once through, so I don't know about songs in particular. Um, definitely a bit different from what I normally am used to from pumpkins i guess um so i enjoyed the listen i don't really have any specifics to comment on it i guess yeah definitely, definitely um a bit, hit and miss a bit heavier and moderny in some sort of way i guess but mm. um but yeah no it's, it's still on my um cycle to have a couple more plays how do you feel about tism <laughs> what do you mean just how do like, I feel were you a big tism fan Oh, I wouldn't say I was a big fan. I think they're hilarious. And I agree. I particularly enjoyed um, www.wanker.com. Was that the album? <laughs> I actually like don't that. know. That's hilarious. <laughs> the one with What Are You? You're a Wanker. You're a that, Wanker, yeah. I thought that was a particularly amusing album because their earlier <laughs> shit was just hilarious without being good music at all. But then yeah. they sort of started almost <laughs> like writing good catchy songs with still with fucked lyrics. So that was particularly funny. Yeah, the just thinking about that now that I'm an adult, <laughs> just this song and it's a bit ambient, it's a bit dancey called, you know, what are you? You're a wanker. Yeah. And how he just kicks in in the verses where it's like, you're a wanker with that <laughs> voice. Oh, I don't know. And then I'm a yubbo, I'm a yubbo, I'm a yubbo in the background over top of someone saying you're a wanker. Yeah. Are you a yob <laughs> or a wanker? Yeah. Like which one is it? Yeah. Well, I guess that's essentially bogans versus hipsters these days. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> oh, man, funny shit. Funny All right, shit. I'm going to tee that up on Spotify now and listen to that today. Yeah, too. I think I am as well. Um, the oh. reason I kind of... Why am I bringing that up? No, the, yeah, the liking thing is because on Apple Music, it's you've got a like or it's actually a love oh, button. Okay. And right. 
I think I've only loved like Bellacore and Summoning and Ahab on here. Mm-hmm. So my suggestions are pretty narrow and shit on on this thing. So now I'm literally doing this as we speak. I just went through and just liked a bunch of albums because I need to do what you do more and just have it throw music at me like the radio. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's cool because it's like, <clears throat> I know I like when it's one song at a time by a band and then if a song like hell jumps out at me, I'll quickly go grab the phone, click into that artist and then play the album through because I'm still, as you know, an album person. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think that's a wicked way of finding cool albums from uh, yeah one song at a time and then delve deeper from there. Cool, cool. All right, well, bloody have a good one, mate. Yep, likewise. Lovely chatting to you. Talk it was to you really soon, fun. Buddy. Oh, it was just great.